Welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project co-founder, Matt Agarist. We have a very informative episode today, but first, if you could please take a moment to subscribe, review, and share our podcast. We appreciate your help in doing so. Today's guest is Rachel Blevins. She's a writer, researcher, and current correspondent for RT America. She now lives in D.C. and has a great grasp on foreign policy, geopolitics, and domestic issues at home, along with a unique insight about the current state of the nation. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Nice to have you back on. Quick funny story. We did a podcast with Rachel a couple days after the January 6th Capitol, quote, insurrection but I forgot to record it, and somehow Matt's mic only recorded his voice. So we're going to try to do it again today and make sure we actually have a recording. Uh, it was a great podcast, too, so we were disappointed when we realized what happened. But with that said, longtime Free Thought Project supporters probably know who you are and that you wrote for us for about a year and a half. Anyone paying attention to alt media most likely knows you're a full-time reporter now for RT but many probably don't really know your history and your background before working for the Free Thought Project and RT. So do you mind introducing yourself and explaining a bit of your history? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you guys for having me on again. I know this is my second time on the podcast, the first that everyone gets to listen to. And, you know, we always <laughs> say with technology, it can be the greatest thing ever. And it can also be the worst thing ever when it doesn't work out the way that you want it to. Um, I am based here in Washington, D.C. I'm working as a correspondent for RT America, and I also fill in to host really any shows that they need. So for the last few months, I've been filling in for the show Boom Bust, and we cover basically international business measures, the U.S. economy, all kinds of things. So even though my background is typically more towards foreign policy. I've gotten to learn a lot in 2021, and that has been a really fun adventure. But before that, I've actually been working in the independent media for seven years now, which is crazy because sometimes it feels like it's gone by in the blink of an eye. The other times it feels like I've been doing this for forever. Um, But I started out when I was a freshman in college And I was kind of in a place where I had chosen to major in journalism. And I was looking at my classes and seeing that the typical routes, whether that be working for a local TV station or a local newspaper, those didn't really sound exciting to me. And so I started looking around and seeing what else was out there in terms of the world of journalism. And that was in 2014 at a time when independent media was really at its height because that was before... Facebook and Twitter and everyone had learned just how much they could crack down on the world of independent media. That was when, you know, the Free Thought Project was gaining steam. That was when we had a number of independent journalists out there who were really building up audiences. And so I was fortunate that I got to start freelance writing and really get involved in that world. And then a couple of years later, I kind of turned that into making YouTube videos and kind of focusing more on the side of commentary, especially whenever it comes to a lot of these geopolitical issues. And it's crazy to look back and think that when I started out in 2014, that's when we saw tensions heightened between Israel and Palestine. That was the last, you know, big conflict that we really saw between the two of them. And now seven years later, we seem to be right back there again. So if there's anything I've learned over the last seven years, it is just how much we keep going through that same news cycle but at the same time, how much change is really needed in a lot of different areas. Yeah, it's actually, it's really crazy what's going on right now. Like you said, the the conflict and, uh, I mean, it's not even a conflict. That's what the mainstream media is referring to it as. It's more like a, 
it's apartheid, it's persecution of people based on their race, and it's ethnic cleansing is what's going on in and in, in Gaza right now. And um, if you would watch the news, though, you wouldn't you would think that Israel is acting in uh, in self defense from a bunch of people launching bottle rockets at them, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for 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 in retaliation for them being um, persecuted on Ramadan. You know, this is like a this is like a historical thing that happens every year. The, the Israelis go in and they persecute the uh, Palestinians when they celebrate Ramadan. And um, it's been going on for years. This year they went in and they, they brutalized hundreds of people. And so the Palestinians reacted. You know, they, they I mean, they don't have any militarized weapons whatsoever. They have essentially modified fireworks that they throw into Israel, you know, to and and like a couple of Israelis were killed during this battle. and. Um, or during this original um, e- exchange of, of of force or whatever, and then so now I- Israel is just bombarding the country. And, and I wrote an article last night to 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 put this on the website, and there was only 26 people dead. And now I'm looking at there's a, there's almost a hundred uh, people killed, um, you know, by Israeli um, airstrikes. And this is this is. And this is including dozens of children, not not just, you know, this isn't they're not going after terrorists or anything. They're they're killing children in this process, too. And it's it's utterly insane. And uh, the outlet that you work for, Rachel, is one of the only people putting out the the actual truth about this. You know, uh, if you want to yeah. go. On, yeah. Yeah. Like tell us how RT is uh, covering that right now. Yeah, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. And I hear it so often people saying, well, wait a second. This is RT. They're not supposed to be the ones having accurate coverage of anything. They're supposed to be the bad guys in all of this when compared to Fox News or CNN or whatever it may be. But a lot of times, especially when it comes to these geopolitical issues, RT is one of the few that's actually out there putting out the facts, you know, gathering. One of the things that they do really well is they will gather material from Twitter. And I know that's something that the Free Thought Project does as well. You start looking on Twitter, you start seeing what these different voices are saying, and you start gathering those different accounts. And that's something that we're really not seeing in the media right now. Like you said, when you're talking about these narratives that we're seeing all around that, oh, these are clashes, and that you know, the small bottle rockets that are being fired off by Hamas are equal to the airstrikes that are being launched by Israel with full U.S. support all the way. And yet it's those airstrikes that are targeting residential buildings. They're taking homes from hundreds of people who are completely losing their homes. And then when you see the criticism towards Israel of it, Israel's response has been to say, oh, well, we gave them warning to get out of their homes before we bombed them. And my question to them always becomes, okay, well, what does that look like? I mean, are you giving this family time to say, okay, what is the last thing that we're going to take out of our home before we decide where we're going to go? I mean, this is a conflict that is so incredibly frustrating when you see the media's response to it, but also when you see the United States response to it. I mean, the Pentagon came out and they literally only looked at Israel's side of it. They refused to acknowledge the fact that Israel has killed nearly 100 Palestinians so far. They refused to acknowledge the fact that children are included in that death toll. And they also refuse to acknowledge the fact that, you know, right now the United States is providing Israel with more than $10.4 million a day And they're doing that with no conditions. There's no discussion right now in Congress to say, hey, wait a second, should we look at what they're doing with all of this money that we're sending them and whether or not war crimes are being committed? It's just blatant support with with no conditions. And I think that there should be a lot of concern there. Exactly. And if you if you say what you're saying and what I just said right now, this is this is considered anti-Semitic. Right. And you can be persecuted Mm -hmm. from that for this under U.S. law. You know, there's there's multiple states in the United States. I believe you wrote a story about that when you were with the Free Thought Project back in 2018, how, um, you know, how multiple states were passing laws that uh, define any criticism of is of Israel as anti-Semitic hate speech. And um, and you can you can actually be prosecuted for this. This this is uh, absolutely insane. And it's it's like it's par for the course. You know, the, the mm-hmm. government's in tow with it. All these uh, ostensibly objective media outlets like the Associated Press. Reuters, all these, all these outlets—they're all um, engaged in this massive conspiracy to distort the actual truth of what's happening in that region. You know, they're—they're they're using de- some of them are using like deceptively 
deceptive language in which, like, like just the AP headlines yesterday, rockets kill two Israelis, 26 die in Gaza as Israel hits Hamas, right? So yeah. the rockets are killed, the, the Palestinian rockets killed two people, but 26 other people randomly died in fucking in Gaza, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 they they weren't killed by Israeli airstrikes at all, you know? And even yeah. uh it's there's it, it goes from like subtle propaganda like that to blatant lies like what we saw from the New York Post on Tuesday, which was uh airstrikes from Hamas militants kill 20 in Israel, including nine kids. Hamas doesn't have doesn't have planes yeah. from which to launch an airstrike from, nor were the bombs dropped in Israel. They were dropped from Israeli planes on uh, in Gaza and they killed kids. You know, that's like this is the type of heavy absolute propaganda that people are dealing with here. And, you know, most Americans are completely oblivious to this. And it's evident on Twitter. You know, there's absolutely nothing tw trending on Twitter in regards to this, to the, the atrocities going on right now. Um, I've seen evidence that Twitter might e actually be engaging in the cover-up themselves and suppressing this information. It's, um, you know, this is this is really crazy. What what kind of level of propaganda? It shows the control that the you know the the Israeli military military state has over the U.S. media. And no, I'm not saying Jews run the world, right? I'm, <laughs> my, my father, my biological father, is. it was born in Israel. I'm half Jew. I'm not like anti-Semitic, right? I'm, I'm just talking about how the control over mainstream media is evident here when you, when you have one side story, uh, just like in this, this degree from all outlets, um, you know, except for like Al Jazeera, RT, and uh, the the independent non-U.S. based uh, foreign media outlets that are the only ones telling the truth in in this matter. Right, <laughs> and I think it's crazy when you think about how not only is it's it's as if they don't want any sort of criticism, right? And it's like we should be allowed to criticize another government, especially when American taxpayers are helping to fund their military. I mean, that right there, we should be able to have all of the criticism. There should be annual reviews of their military as well as our own to decide whether or not we should continue this funding. That should be perfectly normal. And yet we come into this state where, you know, the media paints it in a certain light. And then on top of that, one of the things that I haven't seen a lot of talk about is the fact that, you know, there was actually an offer for a ceasefire. Russia got involved. They went to Hamas. They said, listen, we need to stop the fighting. We need to come together to form a ceasefire. Hamas said that they would agree to a ceasefire as long as Israel agreed to it. And then Israel said, nope. And they basically said that they were going to continue this bombing campaign. They said that it was still far from over. And that right there should be ominous and troubling to everyone to think about the fact that this seems to be some sort of planned operation. And now we've got Israel looking at moving their military in, looking at turning this into a full ground operation. And yet it's the United States that is just standing by and saying that they continue to provide ironclad support to Israel right there. I mean, the fact that there's not more talk about that and that there's not more frustration and speculation over what Israel's motive is here is incredibly concerning, especially when you're talking about one of the most densely populated areas on this earth and the fact that we're already seeing dozens of children dying and the fact that we're at a point where dozens more could very well be killed. Like that's something that the entire world needs to be talking about and not just in the sense of, oh, we support Israel, so we can't say anything else about it. I think you touched on an important point there, Matt, about Americans' public perception. I think that perspective, uh, you know, we could we could look into that a little bit. For me, as somebody who's a bit of an outsider to this conflict uh, and, and not super knowledgeable about it, not as knowledgeable as you two, I know that it's it's deep seated, it's deep rooted. This is something that's been happening for for decades. And I think the general public, much like they are when it comes to any subject relating to government, are confused. The people who do understand what's going on, they're invested in one side or the other. So we see that in America right now. We see that the power struggle, we see the uh, identity politics. And I think it, it's similar in that sense where truth doesn't matter anymore. It's just about relaying and parroting 
the talking points that your team has put out there and put on the table to justify or uh, convince their followers that it's legitimate and it's moral. And uh, same thing goes with this anti-Semitic hate speech. I think that the further we go down that rabbit hole, the more that we're divided, the more logic gets turned on its head and we could twist anything into being hate speech. So yeah, I I see this as like a a very convoluted topic and I, I don't feel like everybody really has the, the the bigger perspective as to what's going on, and that doesn't it certainly doesn't help that the mainstream media is just pushing one perspective, and you know as you already mentioned, I mean billions of our tax dollars go to Israel every year, so it, it really shouldn't be much of a surprise. Yeah, that's a good point as well, and I think it really they've managed to turn it into one of those things where it's like you've got to root for your favorite sports team. And even when they're not doing great, even when they've got terrible players, you still have to continue to root for them and stand by them. And it's almost as if the U.S. has that perspective when it comes to Israel, as they say, this is our closest ally in the Middle East. We want to make sure it's known that we support them. And it's crazy how that translates to just the average person. I know that You know, every time I get on Facebook, I'm from a small town in Texas, and I see so many of my Facebook friends on their feed saying, we stand with Israel, and they feel the need to put that out there as if this is their favorite team and they need to show their support. And it's crazy to me to think about that because I'm like, even if that is your favorite country, even if you want to support them, you should still be able to criticize the ways in which they are attacking children and the ways in which they are attacking neighborhoods. And, you know, also the fact that it's like a lot of this has come about these conflicts because Israel continues these land grabs where they go in and they decide that they are going to take over a certain neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, you have Palestinian families who have been living there for decades. And now suddenly these families who, you know, are in their 60s, 70s, this has been their home, they're suddenly told that they need to leave their home. And that certainly, especially when they're living at a time where they've already been under Israeli occupation for decades, they've already been in a place where everywhere they're able to go, everything they do, all of their basic necessities are controlled to some extent by Israel. I mean, that just stokes the divide further. And so it's like, we're not seeing a lot they're from Israel in terms of them actually wanting to work with the Palestinian people, them actually wanting to be respectful of their right to exist. And we hear all of the time that, you know, a lot of people will try to voice it as, well, Israel has a right to defend themselves. Yes, but Palestine also has a right to defend themselves. I mean, they have a right to exist as well. And I think a lot of times when it's brought up in an international conversation, it's kind of viewed as if there's just this two-state solution and we're going to get there eventually. And it's not really something that a lot of international countries like to really mess with because it's a conflict that has been there so long. And it's one of those things where when it boils over like it does right now, it, it serves as a reminder that you know, for countries like the United States, that they need to be the ones at the forefront calling for peace and calling for accountability. And, you know, the United States has that power, especially when you look at the amount of money that they're giving to Israel, because if the U.S. were to pull that money in one second, I I bet that Israel would start listening and start paying attention to that ceasefire. But unfortunately, because you've got members of Congress who you know, don't want to appear as though they're anti-Israel. They don't want to be branded as anti-Semitic by questioning another government. They will refuse to do that. And they will stand by this at all costs, no matter how many children are killed. And that, to me, is just absolutely devastating. It really is. And it's not just the their influence over U.S. politicians and, you know, U.S. media. If you look at what goes on inside of the country of Israel, they actually persecute anybody else who speaks out against the Israeli occupation and um, ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. Like we, we've done several stories where people have been locked in, you know, been locked up for writing poems that, about the oppression of the Palestinian people. Like this is, uh, th- you know, like you said, this has been going on for decades, and it's it's uh, it's a full scale. Um, propaganda or information control. It reminds me of that George Orwell quote, the the past was alterable, the past had never been altered. Oceania was at war with East Asia. 
Oceania had always been at war with East Asia. It's it's like that, and that's why you have people on your Facebook feed going through and and saying that they stand with Israel and their football team is winning because this prop this massive propaganda ca- campaign and silencing of dissent that we've been seeing for the last couple of decades is is worked, and 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 like people like us that speak out against it probably seem crazy to those folks who are saying that you know that they stand with Israel. I guarantee that the same people that are saying that they stand with Israel wouldn't be able to tell apart an Israeli from a Palestinian if they were standing right next to each other. In fact, they're mm-hmm. like so, some of them are probably so racist that they would they would probably think that the Israeli person is like a look at that Arab over there, you know, like that's how they would probably perceive an is uh, an Israeli person. And it's just it's just the propaganda has been laid on so thick over the past, you know, a couple of decades now that um that it has completely distorted reality for most people. It's a it's a pretty crazy thing. We actually had uh, Gavin um, Nascimento. I, I'm probably sure I just butchered his last name on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about this very thing about how the 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 mass media propaganda and repeated re- repetitive like pounding of this same narrative over and over again is able to distort reality for some people like that. And this is a this is a perfect example of that. Yeah, and I think it's something that you see really all around in U.S. foreign policy. I mean, we live at a time where we know that there weren't weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. We know that pretty much everything the U.S. government has said about ever winning the Afghanistan war was a lie. We know that the Syrian government was not behind chemical attacks in their own country. And yet the U.S. military is still involved in all three of these countries. They're still there. They're still fighting wars. And it's crazy to see that even though this is a reality, even though we can openly talk about it and say, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy how the government and the media came together to form this narrative of weapons of mass destruction. And yet the U.S. military is still waging war over there in Iraq. And there has been no accountability for any of the U.S. officials, any of, you know, the so-called journalists who peddled this narrative, who told the American people that they should be okay with going to war without actually verifying anything that they were putting out there. And it has almost just become understood. You know, we're looking at nearly 20 years in Afghanistan and the Biden administration is now the fourth administration in a row to say, oh no, we'll, we'll end the war, we'll bring the troops home. And yet when you look at their actual plan, they don't have a plan to end the war at all. I mean, they say that they're going to shuffle around troops, that they're going to take them out of the country. But at the same time, they have no accountability for the thousands of private contractors that will remain there in that country. Oh, and the U.S. also plans on going right back in, you know, whenever they feel the need to or whenever they can claim that they're going to fight terrorism once again. And so it's almost frustrating to see on a foreign policy level just how little has actually changed over the last two decades, despite us going through so much and despite there being more information publicly available than ever before. That's exactly right. And that's a good point with Iraq. That just that proves another case. So Biden just comes out and says, I mean, not Iraq, I'm sorry, Afghanistan. Biden comes out and says, we're going to end the war in Afghanistan. Everybody cheers. It's been, you know, it's running across headlines, everything. But when you examine it, like the very next day, they, they came out and said, no, we're not going to really end the war there. We're just going to, you know, we're just going to launch a lot more uh, remote attacks, you know, from our, our drone bases in South Carolina and Georgia's, Georgia and all this other. Plus, we're going to keep thousands of per, uh, private contractors there which have no accountability to the like the uniform code of military justice so which leads to to instances like the blackwater slaughterings of diff, of civilians and mass rape and everything like that because you have these some of these people that are attracted to those positions simply because they can go over there and wreak havoc on on innocent people um you know with with zero accountability and and no one you know everybody everybody all the bidenites and you know pro biden folks are like yeah yeah he's ending the war in afghanistan in the meantime, the Washington Post is running an article saying that in the long run, wars make us safer and richer. You know, like that's the, <laughs> that's the reality we're dealing with right now. I just shared a screen, a screen grab in our, in our Free Thought Project staff chat yesterday about like that was, that's the, that was an actual article at Washington Post. You know, a pro-war, like military industrial complex praising article saying that in the long run, wars make us safer and richer. 
Exactly. They, they meant to send that to their VIP contacts and accidentally send it to <laughs> yeah. all of the rest of us, I guess. I mean, gosh, it's, it's crazy that they're even able to say that. And I know that, and it's, it's, what's also crazy is how many people do not realize that we are still at war in Afghanistan, still at war in Iraq. And that these wars that, have, I mean, they look at them and say, oh, well, those were just post 9-11 wars. Or they look at the, you know, two dozen speeches we got from former President Obama saying, oh, we're going to end the war in Afghanistan. And they just assume that that was the case. They assume that because a politician told them that something was going to happen, that it had to have happened at some point because, you know, politicians never lie to us, of course. So it's it's crazy to me how little attention there is, especially when it comes to massive topics like that. And especially in a year when you've got the United States government passing trillion dollars worth of stimulus uh, just left and right and all over the place. And yet no one's looking at the fact that we're spending over $700 billion on our defense budget every single year. And there's no conversation about maybe pulling back on that to make sure we're still covered here at home. Yeah, and that's not going to happen. I think I think we calculated that to like what was it like fifty five thousand dollars a second uh, that the U.S. military industrial complex spends on on occupying different countries across the planet. It's uh, it's it's absolutely insane. And yeah, like we just went into debt another almost close to seven trillion dollars, and we're not backing off militarily anywhere. We're just you know we're we're provoking new conflicts. We're trying to poke you know China. We're trying to poke Russia. Um, you know, we're, 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 it's, we're just escalating across the, across the planet. And, and, and it's, this information has been taught to be so offensive that most people, most media, no one even reports on it. We, if we run an anti-war article on the free thought project, it might get, you know, two or 300 shares and, and, you know, where our normal articles all, all get several thousands of shares off the, off the website. And and that's just I, I do believe that that's just a conditioning of people have been taught to to not even perceive this information anymore. Like they, it is just goes right through them, right over their head. Like it's they could be shown an image of, you know, some soldiers killing people like reporters, like the collateral murder. Right. And and it doesn't even have an effect. It just goes right into the memory hole, never gets a. A viral click or anything on you know on any social media algorithm nothing and it, it it's a uh, this is constant this is you know this, this constant bombardment of with information that is contrary to what is actually going on has uh, essentially my, i mean for, it sounds like a conspiracy theory but mind controlled the entire population into not understanding what's actually going on you know like you said we that people still don't have an idea that we're at war with in 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 two different countries right now and 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 proxy wars with with at least five or six others in the same region yeah great point matt uh you know the evils of government are directly proportionate to the tolerance of the people and uh, when we become desensitized, apathetic to these these wars, you know, and, and as we've talked about, you know, women, children, a uh, million dead people in Iraq, you know, they're not issues that we should take lightly. They're not issues that we should just put on the back burner. They're not issues that we should just forget about. And I think uh, the American public has, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, as to the debt, uh, as of 2001, Pre 9/11, we are 5.8 trillion dollars in debt. Now we're at 28 trillion dollars in debt, and uh, that's you know not even that's just what they tell us. Uh, according to some sources, we're 132 trillion dollars in debt. If you want to include everything, uh, so you know this is this is a big problem. This is intergenerational slavery. This is something that our kids' kids are going to be paying off, and probably their kids too. And I, I understand there's people. In our audience that don't believe in the debt, they don't believe in money. I get that, but you know what's very real is paying taxes and being held uh, by coercion to pay these taxes. So you know the fact that we we're just turning a blind eye to these these wars and all this military spending. I mean, we're doing a disservice not only to ourselves and this generation, but future generations. You know, as far as just believing anything the government says, you know, going back a little bit here, I think. A general rule is to not believe a word that they say, and you'll probably be in pretty good position. You know, just believe the exact opposite. And I think anybody who values truth 
anybody who isn't just looking for a, a team to root for, whatever the government is trying to tell you, look into the opposite of it. Research it, take your time, you know, think on it. But more often than not, the government actually has incentive to lie to us or try to present certain information in a, in a certain light. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I know that kind of goes back to we already know anytime that Congress presents some sort of bill, whether it be the Patriot Act or the Save America Act or whatever they call it, it's going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be the most unpatriotic thing or the thing that is not going to help Americans at all. And yet the American people oftentimes buy into it, especially as we've seen over the last year, they buy into it because they're getting a $1,200 check out of it. You know, they buy into it because they're told, oh, we'll up your unemployment benefits a little bit, or oh, we will, you know, provide you health care if you happen to catch COVID, or there will be some small incentive in it to where they don't even look at the other, at the rest of the, you know, $1.2 trillion and what it's going towards, who it's funding. And oftentimes that's why they have these massive, huge trillion dollar bills is so that they can throw as much in there and they know that they can get away with it. And they know that, you know, people won't pay attention to it. And there's another thing that's kind of coming up more and more now. And I know this is something that we talked about last time around where it was right after the Capitol riots. And we were talking a lot about the concern of domestic terrorism becoming sort of this new buzzword. And a lot of that happens on social media, right? And that becomes a concern if, you know, in this case, you're speaking out against what Israel's doing in Gaza right now, or if you're speaking out against the U.S. going after China and Russia, or whatever it may be, there is a lot of concern about what we put out there on social media and how it's going to be labeled. And that becomes even infinitely more so because the Department of Homeland Security actually just announced this week that they are going to be building a warning system to detect the sort of posts that appear to predict an attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. That's according to NBC News. And that should cause concern all around as well, because you're talking about you know, the Department of Homeland Security now going through all of your posts and trying to find these warning signs, well, then the question becomes, okay, what are you just going to be placed on a certain list of theirs, which I'm sure we're all on plenty of lists already, but is there some <laughs> sort of new list? Is there some sort of, you know, is there a way that they are able to go after you? Because if there's anything we've learned in the aftermath of 9-11, it's that the United States government can take the label of terrorism. They can place it on anyone for anything at any time. And there is absolutely no accountability whatsoever. So now if they're moving towards and we already know that they've killed American citizens as a result of that with no due process. So now when they shift it over and they say, oh, well, now we're going after domestic terrorism. Well, that should be setting off warning bells all around. It certainly should, especially with the dehumanization campaign that we saw during their post 9-11, where the Americans were able to justify the wholesale slaughter of men, women, and children who had done nothing to them based on the campaign of their terrorists. You know, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And I see that that's been gradually creeping up since probably close to like 2014. I remember, you know, you started hearing, well, actually far back as 2009, uh, or 2008 with the PNAC, the Project for a New American Century documents that came out that labeled Ron Paul supporters as uh, as potential domestic terrorists. Now, it's it's anybody who challenges the establishment is going to be labeled a domestic terrorist. Uh, we we did a, an article last or in March that labeled um, those who question vaccine safety. Um, not we didn't label. I mean the the, the establishment and, and politicians and establishment media are already controlling those. I mean comparing those to those people who question the safety of the vaccines, which is everybody should be doing. You should be skeptical of a vaccine that was rushed to approval and, and authorized under the Emergency Use Authorization Act. It's where, they, you know, where they're slowly putting that narrative out there that anybody who challenges the experts, the science, the establishment mainstream media narrative, if anybody challenges that, then they are a threat to your freedom or your safety. And they can be, you know, they're compared to domestic terrorists. And this is a, uh, you know, this is dangerous, especially considering what what that did as far as the dehumanization of the entire Middle East, which is why no one cares. That campaign was entirely successful. You know, there's the, no one cares about the dead women and children in, in the Middle East and America. I mean, you have people like us 
in the anti-war crowd, but you know they had what little of them was left during the Obama years was wiped away by by when he started dropping the Hellfire missiles on the on the kids. And now you know that now that you have like literally Raytheon and CIA and uh, Army commercials talking about you know like the the biggest purveyors of violence on the planet are putting out um, this new propaganda like to 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 garner the support of the woke crowd, you know, like the, the CIA put out that, uh, intersectional women's rights video about, you know, about their new, their new recruit or whatever, or the, the woman who had worked her way up through there. And, and, and that's this whole new campaign, right? Raytheon, I saw a tweet. It was, it was an older tweet, several years old, but it was like, we're the number one, um, you know, whatever, like LGBTQ supporting, uh, company on, on earth. And I'm like, Unless those are brown LGBTQ people, you know, because then you have no problem turning them to a mist with your bombs. So, I mean, that's that's the the, the campaign. It's like it's moving towards this. The shift is moving towards like co-opting this woke crowd that seems in, uh, increasingly hostile towards any ideas of, of freedom or individual liberty and, and, and seems to push this collective agenda, which is fucking scary. And and it looks like that that that's like getting co-opted by like the by the CIA propaganda network that is that is rife throughout all of Hollywood, the media and everything else. It's a uh, it's scary. It, it really is, especially when you look at the CIA literally trolling the Internet to remind all of us that they can do whatever they want. They have no accountability for their actions. And they're also going to use some of their funding to make a super woke advertisement, you know, to let us know that it's okay because whenever the U.S. military is murdering innocent civilians in other countries, at least it's happening by someone who's part of the LGBTQ community, or at least it's a woman who is the first person in her place. I mean, that's kind of what we saw with the media coverage of the Biden administration whenever Biden first started picking his cabinet picks. And literally all of the articles were talking about, hey, look, there's a woman, there's another woman, there's a woman of color. I mean, they were so excited to talk about the diversity within this cabinet. And while that's all fine and good, they didn't talk about the fact that there was no diversity when you look at the fact that all of these cabinet picks came straight from the Obama administration. Some of them were even from the Bush administration. I mean, these are establishment picks to their core. And the reason that they were picked for their roles is not because of the color of their skin or their gender. It's because it is well known that they're not going to challenge the established quo. They're not going to challenge the you know, establishment and everything that it has going on. And in all of the places where we're watching the U.S. kind of shift its focus away from this war on terror in the Middle East, even though they're still continuing that. But now they're sort of shifting their focus towards China and towards Russia and towards escalating those tensions. I mean, they've got new programs built into the NDAA that are specifically looking at China and Russia. And that doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, Republican, Democrat. I mean, they've shown that this is kind of the shift that they're making and it started with the Trump administration. Now it's going into the Biden administration. And we've watched Biden continue to carry that out, especially as you know he comes into office. Did he lift the tariffs that were on China and try to end the trade war? No. Did he bring back the military presence that is all around China's border and is increasing tension in Taiwan? No. Did he remove sanctions on Russia? Did he you know, pull back? from some of the different tensions that were going on there? Absolutely not. He's doing the exact same things that Trump was doing and continuing to escalate, escalate those tensions. And he's doing the exact same thing with Iran. I mean, do you remember when Biden was on the campaign trail and he was talking about how he was going to come in and take the U.S. back to the Iran nuclear deal and make sure that there weren't tensions? And then as soon as he came into office, he said, oh, no, by the way, um, they, they've got to do stuff on their end and then maybe we'll go back to the deal. I mean, it's the same sort of runaround we see, but yet just because there's diversity or just because it's literally anyone else that's not Trump, suddenly the public kind of shuts up about it and goes their merry way and doesn't pay attention to the fact that the same actions are, are still being taken. It's just by different people. 
Did you guys see that tweet from earlier this year? Apparently, the first ever openly gay U.S. Navy helicopter crew had some pictures taken. It looks like they're in uh, at a base, you know, an Air Force base. They got uh, helicopters behind them and they're holding a pride flag and have a bunch of smiles on their face. And one guy's even giving a, a thumbs up. And of course, you know, we have nothing against gay people whatsoever. That's not the point. The point is that they're using this for their agenda. And I don't think it's a conspiracy theory at this point to point out that the establishment is openly catering to the woke crowd. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it is it, it is intentional. They're catering to the people who base their opinions off of emotion rather than logic. And it, it does go back to this collective versus individual, you know, it, it really getting pushed out right now, the individual, that whole mentality of the individual being paramount. It, it, it's totally going to the wayside right now. And yeah, it, it's almost blatant at this point how much propaganda they're putting out trying to push this you know, social justice type of perspective and mentality on the U.S. public. And I, I would say for the most part, a lot of these people do go along with it, right? Because, hey, this is the same government that are letting the gay community get married. They're, they're definitely sculpting out a certain group of followers who will actually, yeah, approve of what they're doing and, and not only approve of it, but defend it. No, you're good. I was just going to say, that's absolutely right. And it's crazy to think about still just how partisan things are. I mean, we talk about sort of the left-right paradigm and how much Democrats and Republicans have in common. And yet the one thing they still haven't learned is just how easy it is for media and politicians to pander to their party or their interests, whatever that might be. I mean, if you're a Republican, they're going to pander to you by talking about support for the U.S. military and support for police and making sure they use that exact same team mentality that we've been talking about so that you look for those sort of markers that show that they are on your team, not realizing that you're being used as a pawn in this entire game and that you're being used for entertainment, essentially. I mean, that's one of the things that we've watched, especially over the last year, you know, here in the United States, when you've seen these massive protests break out and you've seen these fights between sort of ultra left, ultra right groups, you know, of some sort, and they're yelling and screaming at each other. Some of them are even beating each other up. And it's like, you know who's sitting and watching that? All of the billionaires here in the U.S. who are getting entirely richer and whose wealth has grown even more over the last year, they love that because that's a distraction from what's actually going on. That's a distraction from, you know, looking at Congress and realizing just how many members have been there for decades upon decades. And it takes away from any sort of accountability, whether it's at a state level or at a federal level. I'm actually asking the questions of, okay, what are some of these continued trends that we see going on, especially over the last two decades, and how do we actually bring about lasting change? Because that seems to be the picture is that they, you know, when it comes to, especially to Congress, they will do just enough to get people to shut up and go about their merry way. You know, whether that's naming a bill after a certain figure or whether it's making it look like they're going to do some sort of change, they will do just enough to get the media coverage, to get the good publicity, and then you'll never hear about it again. And I think that that's something that, you know, a lot of people need to start waking up more about and looking at the media coverage and sort of these similarities that they see between the right and the left and to realize exactly where they are in that game and to also realize that they have more in common with the average person on the street, whether their political beliefs are different or not, than they do with the guy who's sitting in the White House or the guy who's sitting in Congress serving his 87th term already. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's, the, that's the problem is that we do have more in common with everybody. We, we, even people with completely different political opinions, you know, that that you still have more in common than, than with somebody that's in the White House. You know, even though Joe Biden claims he's relatable, you know, he's he's part of the establishment, been there for 40 years, has helped to build one of the largest prison populations on the planet or the largest prison population on the planet. And, you know, he's, a, he's it's his policies that led to the oppression of, uh, you know, the drug wars through the oppression of black people and, my, and other minorities and poor people because of his policies. That's what led to this. And somehow, you know, the, through their propaganda, they're able to to tell people that, oh, well, this other half of the country hates you so much that you have to 
you know, you have to be, you have to vote in Biden or that other half of the country is going to, you know, take over, which is, and then they use those things like we were talking about in like Charlottesville and all these battles that we saw uh, over the past several years of people actually getting into physical violence, you know, Trump supporters battling Antifa and all this. That was a, a minute representative of the po- representation of the population. But I do believe that with the, you know, with the, with COVID, the COVID pandemic coming in last year, that was just another catalyst that helped to drive a wedge in between people, you know, with the masks versus the mask, the maskers versus the, the maskies and, and, um, and that helped to further divide people. And then that pushed the divide out, out into the streets, you know, like it's, it's highly likely you can go out into the street right now and a person wearing a mask probably voted for Biden and a person that's not wearing a mask probably voted for Trump. It's where you couldn't see somebody's political differences unless they wore a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. Now it's it's openly out there in the world. And now I think that that's helping people to feel even more divided and 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 more, you know, pushed into their own little group or cult or whatever. And and it's leading to like massive spread of disinformation uh, on both sides of the aisle and uh, and and just and like it's just stifling any type of uh, opportunity for positive, uh, you know, for any type of positive change to come through. Because if anybody people are getting so polarized now that even if someone came up with a perfect fucking solution, if a if a Republican right now came out and said, I've solved the energy pr- crisis, we have perpetual free energy for the rest of our lives. Half of the fucking house would be like, nah, that's some Trump bullshit, you know, and then if and vice versa, they would like if a Democrat did it and, and uh, um, it made everybody millionaires, the the Republicans would be like, no, that's some libtard shit, you know, and. Uh, that's how that's the, that's the the point that we're at right now is that it's just people are so dismissive of the other whatever now and now we're just increasingly getting put into smaller and smaller jars to where even in, within parties you have even more people that should be divided amongst other people and and it's just uh I don't know we're gonna I mean to the point maybe that's working a good way maybe we'll be so divided that we'll all be individuals <laughs> one day. <laughs> that's the ultimate goal after all this i know and it's what's crazy too is i remember when donald trump announced that he was running in 2016 he was viewed as like the ultimate anti-establishment candidate because of everything he would say right he came in and he said we're gonna end the endless wars i'm gonna tell you the truth about 9-11 we're going to do all these things that have never been done and yet you look at what trump's presidency actually was And he ended up being the perfect distraction for the establishment over the course of four years because he was a polarizing character. He was someone that either you loved him and you worshipped him and thought that he was going to save the country or you hated him and you thought that he was going to destroy the country. Well, neither of those ended up happening. But what did end up happening is that Americans got to this place where they were so polarized that they believed that just one person could either truly change everything or could either truly ruin everything. And, you know, luckily or not, the U.S. government is not set up like that. But at the same time, it also took their focus away and it set us up to keep going in the same cycle because, you know, in 2024, whether it's Biden running or Kamala Harris running in his place, you know, whatever the Republicans decide to do, we're still into the same cycle. And I you know, I remember starting out back in 2014, and that was at a time when independents and third parties actually were getting a lot more support because people were tired of the same old, same old from the Obama administration. They were tired of being told one thing and then another actually happening. And so it does create a lot of concern when you look at the political future of the U.S. and you you do wonder is there going to be a time when people actually wake up to what's happening, especially with this two-party system? And is there going to come a time where they start putting their support behind real change? And I mean, is that something that they can even agree on? Because, you know, with so many different issues, whether it's, oh, you're not woke enough for this party, or you don't support police and the military enough for that party, we focus so much on those little small social issues And instead of looking at what's actually much broader issues and what actually unites us as people and would lead to, you know, this country continuing, because 
at the moment, we're not on a great path. I mean, you look at the stock market and you would think that everything's great. I mean, we have we have had a year of record highs when it comes to stocks, but that doesn't factor in the fact that, you know, the U.S. government has been pumping the economy with money and they've been holding everything up. And, you know, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury have been telling everyone, oh, it's going to be OK, we're good. But at the same time, the U.S. dollar is growing increasingly weak. There's a lot of concerns, you know, that we're headed for the dollar crashing altogether. Tensions are increasing around the world. And while the U.S. is, you know, stoking these divides with countries like China and Russia, what's happening is that China and Russia are increasingly moving away from the U.S. and away from the U.S. dollar. And so we're at it. We're going from a time when the U.S. was the big, bad world power that got to dictate everything and that got to talk about how, you know, the world order needed to be run to now going to a time where it's like other countries can start teaming up and going up against the U.S. And that, you know, for the American people, that's something they should be focusing on to realize we're not headed in a good direction at the moment. And there, you know, at the moment, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of a movement to change that and to change sort of the political and especially geopolitical trajectory of where the U.S. is headed. Real change isn't going to be ushered in by worshiping a politician. And I think that's the first thing that we all need to really understand. I think people who listen to our podcast probably understand that, the free thinkers. But when you're talking about polarization, don't forget, Rachel, that it wasn't just Trump who was polarizing. There was a whole eight years before that where Mm -hmm. Obama was the polarizing factor. And even before that, there was another eight years of Bush being that same person. So I think it's safe to say that whether these people are actually placed in the position of presidency or they're actually legitimately voted in, there's been a continuity of policy placing us on a trajectory of less freedom, less rights, more war, more spending, no matter who the president is. And, you know, that's something we need to acknowledge collectively as a country because they're only making it worse. The more we vote, the worse they get. So, yeah, I, I think that that's something need to be said. And then uh, just to touch back on some of the stuff what Matt was saying, you know, we don't always have to agree on everything, of course. You know, I, I think some type of discourse is important. We're never going to have the same opinions, but... The divide is, I think, what we're talking about that's being socially engineered, socially conditioned into us through various factors. These people absolutely know what they're doing when it comes to psychology and propaganda. So I think, yeah, what we're trying to say is not that these types of conversations aren't warranted or valid, but let's not forget our humanity. Let's not forget the most important factor of all, which is morals, ethics, nonviolence and peace. And I think that's something that we could all agree on. Of course, there's subjective differences there with with morals and ethics. But I think the majority of people all want peace. But we're being played right now. We're being pushed into different corners and we're at each other's throats. The tensions are sky high. The polarization in this country is at an all time high. So let's not feed into it, guys. You know, let's have these discourse. Let's let's keep it cordial. Let's use our discernment. Let's do what we can to actually try to push some positive change through sharing different perspectives. But when we allow ourselves to be divided, that's how it's going to only get worse. And this starts on a personal level. We can't keep pointing the finger at other people and saying, well, they're dividing us. Every time we make a post, every time we make a comment, is it inclusive? Is it exclusive? Are you trying to share information or are you trying to belittle the person that you're speaking with and and having a, a debate with? So these things are all important. And it's also like it's a it's a much easier way to get your point across, especially if you're having a uh, discussion online or on Twitter where it's open to the public and everybody else can read it. Uh, you know, you can you can dismantle ideas and, and get, garner support for your ideas simply by being, uh, you know, just eloquently speaking, not being rude and just putting out the idea that is superior to the other idea. That's what that's how uh, discourse should happen, you know, censoring and silencing and and all the tools that the establishment is using now only lead to this divide. And that's why I believe that we're headed down this path is because the the free discourse that we once had for a brief period in this country is now is now being controlled by the fact checkers, by big tech, by 
those by by massive amounts of individuals who call for the censorship of others because it offends their it offends them and um and and it's only led to more divide i mean that's we we were predicting that this would happen you know five or six years ago when we saw the all these these this this trump movement and divide starting to take place at these rallies with these people fighting we were like this is just gonna you know this is only and they, they kept censoring one side and one side and um you know trump like uh only went after antifa instead of decrying the white nationalists and that empowered the white nationalists empowered antifa created more divide and then broke off into factions and then the police the anti-police faction and the pro-police factions grew bigger and larger and and there's absolutely no peaceful discourse both of them call for the censorship of the other one and and it's happening but the both, both everybody is being censored online you know except for this this woke generation or this woke crowd not not even a generation there's there's this wokeness between like from people that are 11 to like 80 you know <laughs> i saw like bet midler a great example of this is is bet midler i know bet midler who the hell is bet midler but she's she's an old actress right but she tweeted out about like literally killing children um, of the parents who didn't want to vaccinate. And like this is she said this before the FDA even approved the the Pfizer vaccination for for children under 12 or from uh, under 17 this week. Right. She said that over the weekend. And so there was not even a vaccine that children could even take. But she was already saying, you know, like children that don't you know, if you don't want to send she made like a peanut butter allergy comparison or something. But. It was, in essence, it it was literally calling for the death of children because parents didn't want to vaccinate their give their children a, a, an experimental vaccine, and it got tens and tens of thousands of retweets and engagements and support and praise, and very very little resistance, you know. And had anybody not in that woke crowd, uh, including you know those on the left or the right, said anything remotely close to that, they would have been memory hold, and and so. Um, I know I'm not, you know, it's, 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 it is, it is up to the individual to fight this back, but to dismiss the powers that are actually stoking this would be irresponsible. And, you know, that's why we need to, we need to like stop, we need to stop engaging on these platforms and move to other ones and stop using these platforms and, and, and move to other ones that are, are less censored and, and are not censored at all, you know, and, and be the change that we want to see instead of engaging in this controlled paradigm uh, that just seems to be increasing divide. Yeah, and even in the cases where we might not be ready to move to other platforms yet, I mean, big tech. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, we're going to reach a lot more people on Facebook and Twitter right now, and that's why we're both still on those, you know, and obviously, but it it doesn't help to be building something that we can work towards in the future to show the obsolescence of this old, archaic, censor-prone system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, Jason made a really good point earlier when you were talking about how, you know, we don't have to agree with everyone on everything. And I think that we've kind of come into this time where, especially as journalists, especially when you're giving commentary on a situation or you're raising awareness to a side that the mainstream media isn't covering, that can bring a lot of criticism from people who don't necessarily agree with you. And I've gotten that message a number of times from people who say, hey, you know, I really like what you were saying about option A, but when it comes to topic B, I don't agree with that at all and getting frustrated. And to that, I always say, look, that that's okay. Like, I don't, expect anyone to agree with me. I want to hear from other people, from other viewpoints, even in times where, you know, I think that they're dead wrong and vice versa. It still is important to be able to have that discourse. And I know back before we all got kicked off of Facebook, I remember, you know, Alex Jones getting completely deplatformed all around. And Uh, there were plenty of people who were cheering it on and saying, oh, he's a horrible person. He deserves this. And at the time I was looking at that and going, "Uh oh, not, not because I agree with Alex Jones, not because I follow him or anything like that, but because, you know, that was laying the groundwork for other people to be deplatformed. And that was laying the groundwork for us to get our pages taken away and for that to continue happening. And it was kind of a way of Facebook and Twitter seeing what they were capable of and seeing what they were able to do. And then it continued to escalate after that. And it brings us back to this place where, you know, it's really easy to kind of be inside of your own little echo chamber and to only follow people you agree with or who are in your political party or that sort of thing. 
But at the same time, it's better to have more voices out there. You know, it's better to be able to have a choice to be able to follow more people, even if you don't agree with them, they still have the right to be out there to speak. And that's something we should encourage. I mean, when it comes to disinformation on the internet, that should be controlled by the individual consumers saying, look, this guy is publishing literal fake news or, you know, he's publishing spam articles. We're deciding not to follow him anymore. And we're not going to go back until he decides to change his ways or something like that versus, you know, a type of Facebook or Twitter deciding that they are going to lay down the law and kick this person off of the Internet. Because even if they get it right one time, the odds are they're still going to get it wrong 10 other times. Or, you know, you're going to get your page banned for some ridiculous, vague reason. And yet you're talking to these big tech corporations that they don't care about you. I mean, Facebook... They said it whenever they were going through that battle with the Australian government just, I believe, a few months ago. They were going through this battle where Australia came to them and they said, look, our publishers, you know, our news publishers need to be paid for their content. They need, you know, there needs to be some sort of agreement set up there. And Facebook literally told them, you need us more than we need you. You know, they told them hey, look, that's, you know, we're not, we're going to pull our services completely unless you give us what we want. And that should be, you know, raising alarm bells all around because it comes back to this point of, you know, we've given Facebook and Twitter and big tech companies so much power just by the time and effort that we give them. And so it really has come to a point where it is time to start moving to other platforms. It is time you know, to start setting up your profiles and posting content if you haven't already, because it serves as a reminder that any one of us can get kicked off of Twitter tomorrow. And there is no accountability for that. I mean, you're talking about a company that it's like, they're, they're not accountable to anyone. They, they owe you nothing. And yet they profit off of you so much that they have now grown into something that, you know, is almost too big to fail as they, as they want to say. Oh man, we have a, a lot to unpack on this topic. This could probably be a whole nother episode. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. yeah. It could totally I, be, I man. The exact uh, right trigger for. Uh... Yeah, all three of us have been. You know, we've we've endured so much censorship over the past four years that I, I think yeah we have a lot to say on this topic and and maybe some uh, bad vibes that are still lingering in the spine a little bit. So just a reminder, guys, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Also, go to our website. At the top, there's a link to sign up for our newsletter. This is the best way to follow us and see our articles without that social media interference or throttling we were just talking about. And uh, also, yeah, we're on all the social media platforms. We're on Minds. We're on MeWe. We're on Telegram. We're on Gab. We're on Parler, Instagram, Twitter, pretty much any social media platform you could think of. Just go to the search bar, put in the Free Thought Project, Police the Police. We will be there. Uh, be sure to also follow us off all these mainstream social media sites um, where you know we don't have to tiptoe and sharing our thoughts and walk on eggshells waiting to be banned. And uh, also, if you value what we do, please consider subscribing to our organization. Uh, we have a $3, $5, $10 a month level tier. Uh, each comes with different swag. And of course, if you don't want to subscribe to a reoccurring payment, we also have like a one-time donation. And uh, we, also, uh, we also just recently partnered with a, uh, it's, it's a program called Legal Shield. It gives you access to an, an attorney uh, 24 hours a day with for like pennies on the dollars, $24.95 a month. I know this sounds like a big sales pitch, but I didn't realize anything like this existed. And when uh, the, per the representative reached out to us and we listened to what they do, it's pretty amazing. You can have like, like support for gun owners. You have trial defense. Like you know, it's a very expensive to pay for an attorney to go to for trial. Um, for, for, for pennies, you get like less than $40 a month. You get a hundred hours of of an attorney to represent you at trial inside the courtroom. Um, they'll they'll battle every single speeding ticket for you. Uh, you have there's 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 all kinds of add-ons for if you're a Uber driver, all this different things, and it starts at twenty four ninety five a month. I highly recommend going to check it out. It's uh it's at the top of every page on our website. It's um the the link it's it's called uh it's the need a lawyer. Just click on need a lawyer up there, and and it'll it'll bring you to our 
to the Legal Shield website that we that that we have partnered with. Um, I highly recommend it. it. Yes, we do make money from that. It helps support us, and it also helps support you. Like a will costs like a thousand bucks to get a will made. This one you can get a will made for twenty four ninety five a month. That's it, and um, and plus have a lawyer in your pocket twenty four hours a day. It's a uh, it's a no brainer once you read the you know read the introduction or watch a video on it on our website. Yeah, both Matt and I both subscribe to it. And as Matt said, you know, you literally have an app on your phone where there's a button to contact lawyer immediately. So you you have a lawyer in your pocket accessible at all times, 24-7, 365 days a year. Uh, to me, that's invaluable. And uh, of course, anybody who knows the fear of having a cop behind you uh, would, would certainly appreciate that during a traffic stop. So um, definitely consider that. And, uh, you know, Rachel, you're a wealth of information. And in my opinion, you're one of the top 10 geopolitic analysts in the indie media landscape. Uh, you've been consistent for years with your perspectives based in liberty and truth. We very much thank you for joining us today. Follow Rachel on Instagram, YouTube, Telegram, Minds, MeWe. Check out her contributions on various shows on RT. Also, subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, I do. Our work is very important. You know, we need to support people who are doing this type of important work. And uh, make sure those Russians give you another pay raise soon, too, Rachel. You definitely deserve it. <laughs> well, we, thank uh, you. Yeah, we appreciate you. you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it. And I would encourage everyone to support the Free Thought Project as well. I mean, especially when we're talking about all of the censorship that is going on right now. It's independent outlets like the Free Thought Project that need your support more than ever in order to just survive. Because, I mean, you guys don't have the big, massive backers like Fox News, like CNN. And yet you're actually doing the work that people want to see. And you're facing all of the hurdles to try to get that work out there. So it has been a privilege to come on and to talk with you today. And I'm you know, relieved to know that there are people out there who are actually carrying on the conversation and, you know, bringing a lot of these topics to light that simply are ignored by the media on a daily basis. Thank you so much, Rachel. Right on, Rachel. This was awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you.